And I really view community as the way in which a spark can catch fire. You know, as an individual, we're that, that matchstick, but with the right people and the right resources and the right environment around us, you can become something. Hey friend, so excited for this Portfolio Career Podcast episode with Michelle Welsh. I love listening to Michelle on my friend Maria Zenadu's Impact Learning Podcast earlier this year. I learned about her inspiring career and contributions in so many areas, fields, and projects there. It was such an honor to talk to her on this podcast while she was in Nepal where she lives. She's founder of a school there called Learning House and has been living there for over six years after leaving New York City. While in Nepal, she curates and runs a dinner series that she started when she was in New York that's in New York called Project Exponential. In this episode, you'll learn about how change starts with community, some of Michelle's work on picking yourself that she did with Seth Godin, how you can design your life with different projects and services. Michelle is a coach and professional writer while living in Nepal and running her school. Really, really inspiring conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen and learn. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. Here we go with Michelle. So Michelle, uh, if we were to go to an event tonight, how would you uh, typically introduce yourself? Ooh, I'm Michelle. <laughs> That's that. And I let people ask me questions. I don't like giving too much away in the beginning. <laughs> Clearly, it'd be a little bit hard because I'm here in New York and you're here, you're there in Nepal and love to talk. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit more about Nepal, but on your website, you have a a quote that says change starts with community. And I would love to just hear you kind of unpack that a little bit and how that relates to um, some of the work you've done. Yeah. So this has been kind of the driving force that I've seen. So I was a probation officer in Colorado and I moved to New York to complete my master's in social work. And part of my social work training and my my internship experience was working as a social worker in the South Bronx and also at Barnard College uh, within their counseling department. And then I did a huge career change and ended up in marketing and advertising, working at Interbrand. And I was at Social Media Week helping put events together there. And then I ended up here in Nepal. And all of these diverse experiences have shown me that the resources around you, the environment in which you're in, have a huge impact on who you are as an individual. That you can be the most talented, bright, driven person but without the right resources and the right support around you it could fall flat and i really view community as the way in which a spark can catch fire you know as an individual we're that that matchstick but with the right people and the right resources and the right environment around us you can become something that fire can catch on and so for me without a doubt you know most of my projects here in Nepal have been through crowdfunding. They've started through crowdfunding. And again, that's a community. I am just one person, but I have all of these people around me cheering me on. Um, so I have my community. There's a community here. 
And, and I really think that, you know, an individual can get it going, but it's not going to go far without the right community around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so in New York, you also, uh, you led a project, Project Exponential, and that was a community of bringing diverse people together to talk about their experiences and to make progress together and stuff. Yeah, and those dinners still happen. So when I was in the city and I made this career change from social work to advertising, I realized that people were having the same kinds of conversations in boardrooms as they would in these um, like teacher, social work, parent meetings. But just because of the way networking is in New York, rarely does the social worker come in contact with the ad exec who then meets the creative, who then meets the uh, couples therapist. You know, these kinds of people would never be in a room together. So what I started to do was invite people from my contact list to have dinner. And I would strategically place questions and make a seating chart for people to come together. And I knew where the overlaps were, but they wouldn't. But by the end of the evening, they could get, oh, I understand why I met this person, why I sat next to this person. And again, it was, it was total grassroots, word of mouth, never did any advertising. And people would tell their friends and tell their friends. And to this day, dinner still happened. 12 to 15 people go to, and to add to the appeal, it would always be um, like kind of an underground or secret restaurant. And people go and meet and they don't fully know who's going to be there. And again, this was kind of um, a new thing because when I started doing these dinners, it was a time in which people would post the roster of who's going to be there and their job title and their company title. And I took all that away for these dinners. I just would bring people there. Their names would be on a card. And it's up to them, just like as, as you just asked me, how would you introduce yourself? It would be up to them if they want to reveal that they're the COO or that they work for the New York Times or that they are the, um, you know, whatever, artists in residence. It's up to them how they want to identify themselves. And, and taking all of that armor off helps people talk about real things from the get-go. Um, yeah, so that also, also community-driven, but also... Um, a very kind of generous and willing spirit took part in, in those events because people are there to learn about themselves and to learn about others and, and have meaningful conversations that go beyond the, what do you do? You know, where do you work? That kind of thing that is kind of pervasive at networking events. Mm-hmm. Are you able to share an example uh, you don't have to share that the secret sauce, but uh, some of those kind of the the prompts, the the questions that are written, um, so maybe people could have more meaningful conversations, you know, around town and stuff. Yeah, and and I've I've listed quite a few on the blog, so the Project Exponential blog is live, and um, you know th- there are lots of conversation starters that I post in there, but you know questions about what problems do you wish that you could solve at present. You know, that leaves room for interpretation. Someone can go as superficial or as deep as they want to with that if they want to keep it on a professional realm or if they want to bring it more to a personal space. Um, 
you know, whenever you're asking people about where their excitement is, where their passion lies, what drives them, where do they find inspiration, you get to learn more about what makes a person tick and what they're motivated by. And that, and that is usually where people can connect and where ideas resonate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then, uh, uh, all right. So you're in Nepal. So, uh, you, ha- you had, uh, had this dinner series and we're, as you mentioned, working with, uh, fortune 500 companies, uh, CSR campaigns. And then how did you end up in Nepal? So I, um, first it was Everest Base Camp. I ended up fundraising for a nonprofit in New York City that sends inner city kids on wilderness experiences. And I fundraised money for this organization and ended up in Nepal. At that time, my life was in a little bit of a transition. I had broken up with the guy that I was with. And right before I flew to Nepal, you know, I'm sleeping on friends' couches and kind of in this moment. And so I figured I got this ticket to Nepal. While I'm there, I might as well make something out of it. And I signed up to volunteer as an English teacher. And I had this incredible experience there at this monastery where the monastery was more like an orphanage than what I had thought a monastery would be like of, you know, these devout people and spiritual pursuit. It was really young boys who were either dragged there or placed there because of a promise of a better life or education or food, shelter, whatnot. And those kinds of things weren't really being taken care of in the way that I would have wanted to see. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't turn away and just leave and be okay with myself. And this phrase of, if not you, who just kept repeating in in my mind, if not you, who, if not you, who, and I couldn't leave, I couldn't walk away and feel okay with myself. So I ended up extending my visa for as long as possible and take, and took on different educational roles within that monastery set about finding a local English teacher so the boys would have English. Um, I did a lot of research and talking to people within the community about how these boys would come when they're five, six, and then when they're 13, 14, they run away, they leave, and they're not, they don't have basic education. So what are they going to do in society? And it's hard for them to reintegrate in schools. So set about how can we improve the education system here? Um, yeah, I got him an English teacher, got him books. We, we brought them on different field trips. And at that time, Nepal had terrible, terrible load shedding, which is basically blackout. And one of my first big projects here in Nepal was getting a solar system set up at that monastery. So the classrooms were lit. They had light. They could study at night. Um, the cafeteria areas and the rooms had electricity when there were these periods of um, blackout or load shedding. And that was the first like big crowdfunding campaign that I did in Nepal. And I saw like, okay, it's a lot of work, but it made such a big difference to these people and to this small community. And eventually I started to think, 
if leadership and education is the issue that I'm trying to solve, how can I make a bigger dent? What else can I do here? Not just help this monastery, but um, the community at large. And I started brainstorming and that's how um, Learning House kind of came into, it materialized from that. Mm. The if not who, that prompt, that's, that's a fascinating one. Um, it seems like. If not uh, who, if not me, who's going to do it? <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a lot, like if you can answer that question, then you can find a lot of inspiration and fulfillment in the work you're going to do. And I think it's, it's so easy to think that someone else is going to come in and take care of it or that there's some system that's going to take care of it or that, you know, there's a government or an organization or a club or someone else is going to take care of it. And then when you realize, actually, that's not the case. If I walk away, this is just going to be as it is. And sometimes that's fine and other times it's not. And, you know, it's, it's no one really can give the right answer of what's, what's the right choice and what's the right path. But um, sometimes I think something grabs you and you really feel like as a human, you can't, you can't just leave it as it is. Um, call it an awakening, call it an epiphany, call it a calling, a mission, whatever. I think there are periods in your life where you make a decision of you face it or you walk away. Um, this, that was definitely a moment where I said, no, nah, I gotta, I gotta face that. Mm-hmm. And now it's six years. Yeah. Over, over six years. I'll be coming up on seven in Nepal. <laughs> I can't even believe it. I can't even believe it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and so you talked about that was the problem you want to solve was leadership and education. And then, and so now, you know, the school and the work that you're doing and over six years, um, any other kind of lessons learned for, as you kind of think about kind of the, uh, Nepal, Michelle and New York, Michelle, or, and, you know, just any, you know, things that you've learned and, and, and also then just having so many different conversations with people in New York, um, yeah, anything about kind of lifestyle design of people's uh, careers and, and anything like that? So many lessons. I mean, listen, I came here when I was oh, 29, kind of searching, and now I'm past 35. And I think there's a big period of growth that happens. Um, Nepal tests you, and I can say that I've not always been the most patient person, but sometimes like I've learned I can sit in a government office now for hours at a time if it's for the right reason. And I think also within the last few years, recognizing how to set boundaries for yourself as well of um, You know, I think when I first came here, I just wanted to ask questions and learn and then just give, 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 give. And I realized that at a certain point, you have to set boundaries and you got to take care of yourself too. And that when your own kind of fortress is not strong, you're not going to be as effective as you could be. Maybe you're not producing as much and maybe you're not um, kind of out there as much, but the thing is that you are doing are going to be more effective and more compact. 
Um, I think everybody has to give themselves the space and the time and the luxury to ask questions if they can. You know, I talked, it's interesting, my father just came out here um, and this was his first visit. And, you know, he's seeing all the things that I'm used to seeing, the cows on the street and all the electrical cords in the sky and the, the trash everywhere and these kinds of things. You just kind of wear blinders and you stop seeing them after a while. And he's saying, Michelle, don't, don't people here ask, you know, what job is going to make me happy or what's going to bring fulfillment? And I started to think that that's kind of a sport, like a, it's a luxury because for so many of the students that we work with, their first priority is taking care of their families. And, um, you know, the decision of even, I, I work with a lot of young women of, do I marry the man that my parents want me to marry? Or do I marry the guy that I kind of like? This idea of, you, of duty and and respect and tradition and heritage and your standing within a community is very important here that coming from a very individualistic society, especially living in New York, you know, like you got your own studio and you can make it where you don't have any interaction with people, you know, you can order your food to come to you. Um, Fresh Direct can bring you your groceries, you know, like you can give someone your, your laundry and, and have it delivered. And here things are very communal. You know, many generations are living in one house and the way that you see the world is different. And one of the things that I always stress is that you can't use your own value system to judge somebody else and their own decisions or the way in which they live. And especially when you're doing community work or change work, you have to take time to ask questions and learn and get to know the environment in which you're, you're in. I mean, David, you went from West Coast to East Coast, even within the United States, there's kind of different norms and different ways of people existing and interacting with each other and asking questions. You know, you were, you were saying that, um, you know, West Coast was a little bit more like, what startup are you at? And East Coast is like, okay, so what are you pursuing? You know, what's your dream? Same kind of thing. Like, you have to have that wherewithal of understanding that this person has their own story and has their own way in which they see the world and which they grew up and the values could be different and the priorities are different and you can't judge. You can't put judgment on someone. So I think that's maybe one of the biggest lessons that I think that I try to talk to and communicate to my friends back in the United States of, you know, even though if, if I see something is wrong or think something's wrong, I have to have that distance and that space to think about, well, why would someone behave in that way? What would make them say that or believe that or, you know, what other factors are at place? And Social work training helps with that because basically the difference between a social worker and a, a psychologist is, you know, social workers are, are interested in community and, and the resources and the systems where a psychologist is more kind of the inner workings of the mind. But asking questions is number one. I mean, it's the number one thing. You ask questions of others and you ask questions of yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... Um, 
that's how you understand. That's how you grow. And uh, so is it, and you're also, you've been writing a bunch and uh, you have some amazing blog posts and, you know, I feel like we could just have a conversation on any one of them and just kind of unpack them. But um, is, I think I heard on another podcast of yours that you also do some freelance copywriting and um, some projects that way. Is is that still the case? I still do that. Yeah. So um, with Learning House, I actually, I don't get paid a salary. So I cobble my salary together through freelance writing and coaching. Um, so I've been doing that well, since, since I left New York. Upwork is a great resource for people who are interested in that. But, you know, talking about the kind of a portfolio career, you really can piece together the kind of lifestyle that you want. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do this kind of work in the United States where I run a community education center, but I can write on the side and I can coach clients. It's pretty cool, you know, because I'm fulfilling all these different creative needs and giving needs that I have within my own skill set and talents. But I've pieced that together on my own. And I think one of the greatest lessons that I've learned from Seth, Seth Godin, um, we did a few projects together in New York, but one of the bigger projects we did was based around this theme of pick yourself, choose yourself. That uh, if you sit and wait for somebody else to say, oh, Michelle, I want to hire you to do this, or I want you to do this event, or I want you to start this thing, you could be waiting on your couch for who knows how long. No one is going to call you, actually. Um, but when you decide, I'm going to create this, I'm going to do this myself, how do I put myself in the game? It totally changes your perspective on work and on life, really. Because we're, I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about ab abundance and scarcity, right? Because if you see the world as this place of potential and opportunity, you want to take it in and you want to do all that you can to soak it up. But if you think, oh, you know, there's only this one pie and once it's done, it's done. You're a little bit more apathetic and, and hesitant and reluctant and not as eager. And so I, I do think that that's one of the greatest gifts that I brought from New York here is this belief, this belief of you can put yourself in the game and you can choose yourself. And that's one of the things that we really work on teaching the students of Learning House, you know, on, on the wall is a sticker that says, think outside the box. Because here, most people are not encouraged to go against the grain. You know, from a very young age, you're taught to stand in line and do as you're told and, and don't stick out. You know, that tall tree syndrome, you know, if, if someone's kind of out of the norm, it's not so encouraged here as it is in the culture that I'm from. So, you know, really empowering, especially women, empowering women to say, like, you know, how, how can you put yourself in there? You know, how can you? And, and leadership is, is basically synonymous with confidence, confidence development. And so much of the work that we do, even through English language training and the skills development with the barista, it's building confidence, so people can go out and, and be leaders within their families and within their communities and within the greater Nepal and even the world. I mean, we got students all over the world now, which is cool. Wow. Yeah. 
are you able to share an example of uh, building confidence for 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 a listener? If if that's if there's an exercise or anything like that that's applicable. An exercise or or an example of a student or either whatever feels most comfortable. I mean, either I I would say that you know every Friday we have free English language practice, and so people of all ages come in, and sometimes we have guests, and just seeing some of these students. And when I say students, I'm talking, you know, most of our students are 17 and above. So they're young adults. I think a lot of times people think, oh, Michelle has a school in Nepal and they're thinking of children, but these are like teenagers and adults. But to see them go from a place of not wanting to say anything to when a guest comes in, for instance, maybe a foreign guest or someone from visiting from Kathmandu, they're asking questions and they're engaging. It's incredible. And one of our former students who we saw as having so much potential, we brought him on as a, as a team member and he really blossomed. He's now in Canada working on his engineering degree and he's working at a coffee shop while he's working on his engineering degree. And, you know, he was a little bit of a shy guy when he first came to us. And then, you know, by the time that he left for Canada, he, he told me, he said, Michelle, like, because of being here and the programs here, you know, I feel like I can talk to anybody. Um, so, you know, this kind of stuff of, again, when you learn to talk and put yourself out there and ask questions and be curious and, you know, sometimes you do got to risk looking foolish or feeling uncomfortable. That's when the payback happens. And especially mm. learning a new language. Oh, it's not easy. And I can say firsthand, you know, coming here, I, I had to learn Nepali and I lived with the Nepali family when I first, first came here. And, and my Nepali ama, my mom, she didn't speak English at all. And every night we would have rice. And I, I, I remember thinking, all right, if I want to participate here, I got to learn how to speak. And I would repeat one phrase over and over in my mind and then practice on the road with somebody. And so if I would say the phrase to the person and they would look at me strange, I would know that I... I botched it. I didn't get it right. But if there was a response, it was immediate positive feedback. And, you know, the smile on the person's face when they saw the foreigner, the white person speak in Nepali, it was so rewarding that it encouraged me to learn more. And then, you know, slowly over time, you feel less uncomfortable and less, um, yeah, just awkward speaking a different language. And, and our students go through the same thing they go through the exact same thing. You know, they first come and they have some understanding of English, but just no practice speaking. And you can see how uncomfortable they are, you know, kind of hunched over. And then, you know, just slowly, even physically, they're sitting up taller, you know, and, and they're making eye contact. And these things that, you know, it sounds so little, but it, it goes a long way. It really does. Progress. That's a. Uh, I hear when I'm listening to you. I hear you say just you know each small little step can really, uh, you know the so smiles and just progress can make can build and and create momentum. Um, and also before I forget, that's truly remarkable that you you're not paying yourself through the school. Um, like I, I I can't let you off the hook that easy for that. That is truly 
generous, inspirational, um, Michelle. I got to work on it though, because, um, yeah, I mean, at a certain point and, and, you know, I have also coaches and I have a board and actually just recently, you know, they're also encouraging me of like, Michelle, like you also have to think of sustainability for yourself, not just for the organization. Um, so incredible. Yes. But I think also recognizing your worth and recognizing your value, that's also important. Um, I'd like to have a more streamlined, speaking of piecing things together, sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, how can I do all of this? Um, so I would like to work towards a space that is a little bit more level. Um, but slowly, like you said, progress. Yeah, I had someone once tell me that, you know, I, I was I was having a moment where, you know, you have these moments where you think, oh my gosh, like, is anything moving forward? And two barometers that I like to consider is progress and satisfaction, right? Sometimes, sometimes you get progress, not always. Sometimes you have satisfaction and you feel great about something, but maybe it's not being driven forward in the way that you like when you're really lucky. And then when all, and when everything's stacked in your favor, you get them both at the same time. And that's like dynamite, you know, that's, that's your, your full hand is, is covered progress and satisfaction. But, um, sometimes you got to settle for one or the other, but when, when everything's aligned, then you get both at the same time. That's, that's when you're in the right place. That's the sweet. Okay. Well, if somebody's listening, how do you, how could somebody help you get to the sweet spot, um, and get a little bit more balance? Um, Hey, well, um, there's lots of different ways that people can get involved. Uh, Learning House has a very active Facebook community. Um, my nonprofit in the United States is called Kata Life. So it's spelled K-H-A-T-A-L-I-F-E.org. So someone can go on there and check out some of the projects and our needs. I've even had people offer to do online seminars for some of our students, which has also been valuable and cool. Obviously here in Nepal, we always welcome visitors as well. So um, books are always great to get to people sending us books. So all of these kinds of things. Um, I'm easily stalkable online. If you just type in Michelle Welsh, W-E-L-S-C-H, you can find my writings. I've written a lot about that initial transition from New York to Nepal. I have the blog on Project Exponential. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of content online. So if somebody wants to learn more, they definitely can. Okay. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about, about either you know, picking yourself, finding freelance work, putting yourself in the arena, uh, change starts with community, you know, anything else that you think we um, missed or anything else that you'd like to highlight? I mean, in, in closing, I would tell people that it's never too late to reroute and you can evolve. Life is about evolution. And I think when you stop growing and when you stop changing, you're missing opportunity. And that's when 
energy and creativity kind of shrivels up and dies when you say, no, I don't want to do that, or it's too scary, or I'm afraid. Yes, as we get older, right, we have different responsibilities and families and uh, obligations, but I think just as a human being, you have a responsibility and you kind of have a duty to listen to that call, whatever it is, whether you are an artist or a writer or a musician or a creator or a builder, like you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the people around you to honor that and, and do that. So whatever form that it takes, if it's a half hour in the morning where you're tinkering around with something or even setting aside, you know, every Saturday I'm going to schedule in one hour where I just write or I let myself dream or draw or think or read. I think what I would like to stress is that you will be better for it and your family will be better for it and your surrounding community will be better for it too. Um, I I don't think that giving or being generous or kind means that you got to give up everything and move to Nepal. Um, I think you can look for ways to be generous and kind and dynamic and inspiring within your own communities. And it doesn't have to be a grandiose gesture. It can be something as small as, you know, really giving to yourself will also give to others. So I think, um, you know, stressing that for people is, is important too. Um, that being generous and kind can take many different forms. Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. Hey, friend. This episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. I'm really excited for you to learn from this episode and would love to hear any thoughts from you and continue the conversation where I post this episode on many different social channels. Please subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast for my weekly Portfolio Career Podcast show. And really excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.